Welcome to a special parent series, an offshoot of the Success is Subjective podcast, still brought to you by the collegealternative.org website, presented by Lilly Consulting, and I'm still your host, Joanna Lilly. As with the evolution of any podcast, I was hearing from more and more parents about how they wish that they could share their story, how they'd wish that they'd known others were going through similar experiences, how they'd wish they'd known it was okay for their child to get help earlier, or how they'd wish they'd even known that therapeutic consultants existed. That's how this special series came to be. Each month, I'll be releasing anonymous parent interviews as they briefly share their emotions, talk through their biggest fears, and impart a piece of advice for other parents out there that may have a struggling adolescent or young adult. This special series feels liberating and instills hope. Without even broaching the topic of success, we are inherently talking about the shifts in what success looks like through the eyes of a parent whose child is struggling with their mental health or substance use. It almost doesn't need to be said, but of course I'm going to say it anyways. Success for each of these parents and their child is subjective. Welcome to episode 167, where I had the pleasure of interviewing Pablo's dad. During this interview, he shares how Pablo's struggles escalated quite quickly. It started when his son was in eighth grade, refusing to go to school, and also erasing their messages about his absences, unwilling to come to appointments with a family therapist, and then getting into a few physical altercations when his dad would try to take the cords away to prevent him from his potential addiction to video games. The crisis came when Pablo brandished a knife at a family friend who was to stay with him for a month while his dad went on a musical tour. Pablo's dad called 911 and Pablo was taken away in handcuffs, which arguably was the lowest point in his dad's life. This interview is very specific about some really hopeful moments and then also highlights the terrifying ones that led to their collective treatment journey. So let's not wait any longer. Here's Pablo's dad. Thank you for being here. So let's just jump right in. I'm going to ask you to describe the feelings that you had when your child was struggling and or when they made a decision that impacted you. I noticed when he was 14-ish, our communication just got more and more limited. He spent more and more time in his room. And every conflict we had started related to screen time. I would, you know, I tried to be as consistent as possible, but I was always like, okay, 10 more minutes. And then I'm going to tell you stuff like that. It always started with screen time. And, but then it started to get worse and worse. And so the first sort of feeling of crisis kind of time came when he said, do we have a hammer? And I said, what would you need a hammer for? And he took a rock instead and tried to break into my um, famous stepfather's leather briefcase because he was sure the cords were in there and they were not. So that was one of the first real problem kind of times. I mean, there's one other thing comes to mind. I cannot remember exactly what the situation was, but he was so defiant and he was on the top of a um, loft bed. I said, I'm calling 911. 
you're not, you're just not listening to me, la, la, la. Called 911 and two wonderful female officers came and they went into his bedroom and had a long talk and then they left and he basically said, ah, who cares? So uh, that was, yeah, there are a couple more building up type ones if you want to hear more. Yeah, so uh, we were supposed to go to a family therapist. He refused to go. Uh, I went anyway, and I think on my second time, uh, I started hearing ding. He's texting me ding. And she had just taught me how to put parental controls on the machines, like they were going to turn off at 10 p.m. or whatever. So I checked my phone, and it says, you know, with no tone of voice, as I always point out in the text, it says, uh, turn off parental controls. And, you know, he kept doing it over and over. And finally, I, and I texted him. I said, you know, calm down. I'm going to be home in 20 minutes. And finally, he changed it to turn off parental controls or I will throw the laptop off the deck. And he did. Uh, the laptop survived. This is the same one. But that was a real shock. Uh, then we got into a few times of physical altercations, always about the cords. You know, I am like clutching the cords like this and, you know, curled up on my bed and he's trying to force it away from me. And one of those times he he lifted me up by one leg and I fell to the floor. I could have broken my back. And he stopped going. Well, he didn't stop completely, but he never wanted to go to school. He was sleeping all the time. Yeah. So that leads us up to there were three events that ended in the crisis that caused me to call 911 and have him shipped off to Utah. So there's a lot leading up to, again, before it even got to the that crisis point. So I'm just going to ask you, like during everything that you went through, what was your biggest fear during this time? My biggest fear sort of turned out to be true. And that is that he had some kind of a secret life that I just didn't know anything about what was really going on with him. But I really was very confused. I thought it was dark teenager kind of thing. I was supposed to go to Christmas uh, in New York with my family, and he refused to go. Uh, my wonderful older sister said that she would come and stay with him in San Francisco so I could be with the family. But she had a very hard time with him, too. I, I mean, no no altercation kind of thing, but so my sister talks a mile a minute like I do, but he was just completely uncommunicative. And she is a doctor. She felt she missed an opportunity. Once he said to her, have you ever seen anybody die? And she, I probably would have done something similar. She was so shocked, but she said, well, of course, I'm a doctor. I've seen blah, 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 blah. What she should have said was, wow, what do you mean by that? You know, and we still, there are plenty of details that may never come out. Wow. So as a parent, I mean, obviously you actually just kind of hit on it. You, you leaned on your sister for support. So maybe some familial support, but who else did you lean on for support during this time? Great. Was it? Yeah. I think it was just right around that time. The woman who is the hero of the story, other than me, is a woman from an organization called Prepare to Bloom. And her name is Kathy Meyer. And she was absolutely incredible. 
And she was my support through basically the entire thing. She helped make every decision about where he should go next. And she got me to do a, you know, Tuesday evening parent check-in kind of thing, which was absolutely amazing. I mean, fantastic. And I guess starting when he went to, uh, and I did continue to see, by the way, I called her my Pablo therapist, the one that we're supposed to go to together. I continued to see her for like two years or, or definitely more than a year. But so I was thinking when he started his first thing of treatment, which was in wilderness, there were some suggestions of books to read. And so I did a lot of reading. Um, oh my God. <laughs> Is it called the, Oh Jesus, it's not the parallel process, but there's some, maybe that is it. Anyway, I read one book very seriously. He was supposed to read it later. I don't think he ever did. Uh, and then I browsed through several other books. Yeah. So with all of that, because it sounds like that was, there was a lot of resources that you were leaning on with Kathy being really kind of at the helm or the center of directing you towards a lot of these what advice would you give a parent that is going through even remotely a similar experience that you are going through, but right now? I would say possibly to try to, let's say, encourage slash force some kind of family therapy by, and I would think by, you know, threatening an alternative kind of thing, like this cannot happen anymore. It is, our family is just in crisis, is not I can't live like this and I won't live like this. We've got to get therapy. And if you refuse, then say, well, you know, I mean, I would say, well, let's talk about what are the alternatives. Yeah, that's what I think. I think that's some great advice. I think more families need to, right? We talk so much about children or young adults and kind of them being the identified family member that needs the support. And then everybody around them is, you know, there's supplemental support just by uh, association. But realistically, there's a lot of change that can be made at home or, you know, in the home space if we start with a family therapist, in addition to, you know, an out, you know, an individual outpatient therapist. But to your point, I do think that sometimes the idea of saying, do you want to do family therapy? Like, let's go do this. Nobody really wants to, or at least the initial, you know, that anxiety around change doesn't always ex exist. But I do think that there's more pressure that potentially needs to be placed on like, no, as a family, we really need to do this. Yes. Well, also I'd like to say, you know, he went through four things all in Utah. This is the way I always describe it. 11 weeks in wilderness, 11 months at a residential treatment center, which I thought was the same as a therapeutic boarding school. It really is not. The way I describe where he went, a residential treatment center is like lockdown with school, you know, and daily therapy of a group like the boys talking together kind of thing. And once a week, I think with his primary counselor, the primary counselor at the residential treatment center was so amazing. That's where I probably learned the most. And the it's really just amazing. But it, um, like I said, family tradition, we talk a mile a minute and interrupt each other all the time. The, the biggest thing I learned from him was to just shut up. I mean, to wait. Because Pablo would say, he said almost nothing. He, he were very, very different. You know, I am totally gregarious and I love everybody. And he is super quiet and guarded. So, um, but the fact is, 
sometimes he would say something and then I learned to just sit with the discomfort of like looking at him and neither of us is saying anything. And then what happened more than once and more than twice is he would, the next thing he said was completely a continuation of what he had said before. So it was so helpful. And then Kathy, oh, well, I, I guess Kathy somewhat, but also my Pablo therapist helped me so much with the wording at uh, Wilderness. You had to do certain letters. You know, letter number one is supposed to say this. He never actually wrote the one that he was supposed to write of the uh, taking responsibility letter. But um, each one of my letters was guided verbally by my helpers. You know, I did not say this. I did say this, stuff like that. So helpful. And actually, the Margot, the Margo, this woman who's a Pablo therapist, she would say things that were so right on that I would try to take notes, you know, and sometimes I couldn't read them later, but she was really, well, she has a lot of experience, you know, teenage, la la la, and halfway house, that kind of thing. So that was really, really important to me to get specific help on what to say in communications with him by email. Because I didn't see him, you know, for, uh, because of COVID, there was no parent go out and sit in the wilderness with him, which I would have loved to do. So the first time I saw him was after five weeks of wilderness, I think, you know, oh, by the way, there was a, the very beginning was I called 911 and then I had to make the fateful decision. Does he get arrested kind of or not? And he was taken away in handcuffs. It was probably the lowest point of my life. And he, and they said, we'll call you tomorrow and tell you where he is, which was unbelievable. He was at a psychiatric ward of a hospital where he stayed like four days, I think. And then, yeah, before he was transported by the people, you know, who he calls the goons in the transport thing. Oh, yeah. So I don't know if you want to hear this part now, but when I finally had my first Zoom with him and seeing him after six weeks in the wilderness, I thought it was a face to face, like we're really having a Zoom or kind of thing. Well, it turns out his therapist was sitting right there outside the screen. So it was not a private conversation in any way. But this is when the real shock came. So he said, basically, it came out that he did have a secret life that he was sneaking out of the house while I was at work, that he would erase the messages on the phone that the school was saying he was absent today and stuff like that. I never caught him once. I never smelled alcohol on his breath, nothing. But according to him, he was sneaking out and drinking beer and having sex with girls. You know, I took responsibility because I started sexually very way too early also, but I was so shocked by this entire thing. He had basically duped me for a year. So we took it from there. When he um, when he went to the wilderness, he didn't get along with the therapist. When he went to the residential treatment center, he got along great with the therapist. And there was also a substance therapist who he saw once a week. And she was also awesome. I went to visit. I stayed in an Airbnb. And every single first visit, he wanted to change his last name. Every single visit got better and better. My story, my miracle story is like baby, 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 baby steps, a thousand and never going in the wrong direction. So then he finally went to a therapeutic boarding school, which was co-ed. He started getting all A's and practicing basketball like crazy. And then with the 
therapist and Kathy Meyer and Pablo and me, we decided what would the next step would be. Get three choices, reduce it to two, give him his choice. He went to a non-therapeutic boarding school and did great and continued to get straight A's. At the end of the summer, I had a family meeting with my three sisters who live in New York and Pablo and me. And he was more honest than ever about what I didn't really know about his violent feelings. But we decided that it was time to come home with a contract, which we never quite did, the family contract, uh, and a promise of going to therapy at least three times. We did go once, he met her, but the fact is, after that, the he, it's just been a steady progression in a great way. Thank you for sharing all of this. I know that there's going to be at least one parent that listens to even just a a tip or a trick or like, again, a vulnerability related to the journey that you were on and it's going to help them in this moment. So thank you again for, for being, being open to doing this. You're so welcome. One more thing would be, I've told the people, for instance, at the therapeutic boarding school, they use my name. Sometimes they say, would you be willing to talk to a prospective parent? I love doing that. So if I can help any parent in that way, I'm happy to do it. Perfect. Even though we're going to be anonymous, I will just, I'll put it out there. So if anybody's listening to this, if you do specifically want to speak with this guest, just send me an email and I will connect the two of you. Thanks again. That sounds great. Thank you. That's it for this week's Success is Subjective episode. I want to thank the parents for joining me on this week and for being willing to share their journey. It's raw, vulnerable, and takes some serious courage to be willing to put their voice out there into the podcast universe. Stay tuned for the next episode in this special parent series where you can bet it'll be another family sharing their personal story of adversity, acceptance, and peace. You might have noticed that there's no contact information in the show notes for this special parent series, but if you're interested in getting connected to the parent on a particular podcast episode, please email me, Joanna, J-O-A-N-N-A, at successissubjective.org. If you are a parent who's interested in being a guest on the podcast, also email me at joanna at successissubjective.org. I will be remiss if I didn't tell you to check out the collegealternative.org and lilyconsulting.com websites for additional resources outside of podcasting. If you're listening to this show on Apple Podcasts, please do me a favor and subscribe. And while you're at it, feel free to leave a review. You can also download to listen to the Success is Subjective podcast on any other popular podcast apps such as Amazon, Audible, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. And last but not least... Success is Subjective is listener-supported, made possible by me and you. You can show support for the continuation of this podcast by donating on the successissubjective.org website. Thank you for tuning in, and remember, there is no single path through life. Success is what you make it. Do you have a teenager or young adult who seems to have lost their way? Maybe they need help navigating adolescence, adulthood, and decisions surrounding higher education. Or maybe they have become withdrawn, their grades are slipping, or they are flat out living a reckless lifestyle, and you're concerned about their health and well-being. If this describes what your teen or young adult is facing, a therapeutic consultant may be able to help. Mental health, addiction recovery, and higher education can all be equally expensive. 
While information is everywhere, how do you know what option is the best one for your family? Some parents have the time to research and navigate this on their own. Some don't. If the latter applies to you, enter Therapeutic Consultants. Therapeutic Consultants, like Joanna, listen to your family's specific needs and advocate on behalf of your loved one. TCs will research therapeutic resources, recommend treatment programs, and assist during adulthood transitions. Not being affiliated with any program, their support is completely objective and catered toward the best interest of each unique family. To find a qualified therapeutic consultant to work with, check out TCA, also known as the Therapeutic Consulting Association. Their website is therapeuticconsulting.org, all one word. Again, that's therapeuticconsulting.org. Then click the Find a Pro tab up at the top.